Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Thanks for joining us today. If you've been following along, then you've heard my New York story and you've just heard about my cross-country journey. And now, today is all about my life with Susie. After this episode, though, we've got some great interviews lined up with people who will help you conquer the chaos in your life. We're going to get back to exactly what you know from Coaching Through Chaos. But today's episode is all about how we are conquering the chaos in our lives. In this conversation, you're going to meet my sister Susie, who is one of the bravest people I know. Her entire life changed after 46 years, and she has had to adjust to living in a new state, living with me, (laughs) loss, terrible loss in our family, and separation from all things familiar, and she's excelled at it, all while living on a daily basis with disabilities in her intellect and sensory perceptions. Thanks so much for joining me, Susie. I know that you've been looking forward to this, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you know that we're here doing this episode to help others because sometimes the system that we think is there to help us makes us frustrated and feels like it's there to work against us. And in the past year and a few months now, we have learned a lot about it and wanted to share, you know, some hope and inspiration and Talk about our new life here in California. Well, my life has been here for 20 years, but yours is new to California. So you good with that, Suze? Yes. Great. So before we go into that, Susie, why don't we have you tell the audience a little bit about your life before California? I'm almost 48. I lived in New York for 46 years. I always lived with my mom. Yeah. And what else? What's your what are what are some of your favorite TV shows? We'll pause drag race. Right, and what else? And practical jokers. I know, I think we've seen it. <laughs> I think you've watched every single one fifty million times. So thanks for being so entertaining, guys. <laughs> and what else? You worked for a while back in New York in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. What'd you do? What's for Blockbuster for 11 years. Yeah, and what did you do there? Customer service. Yeah, and you did great. And then just like the rest of your siblings, you're really into cars. So tell us about one of your other favorite things. I had a PT Cruiser. Right. And I I loved the PT Cruiser that I had. 
Uh huh. And he used to go to NASCAR events. Yes. Yep. With another one of our brothers. That's right. With one of our brothers. Used to go, what, to Pennsylvania? Yes. Yeah. So, so we're going to start with one of our struggle stories, which is really just something that just kind of says, even though we lost the struggle that I'm going to tell you about, I'm just going to say, keep fighting anyway and read the notices. That's what this tip is going to be about is read the papers that are sent to you. So we started our journey together as roommates on July 29th of 2018. So I had already gotten the ball rolling on switching your medical coverage from New York to California. So we all knew that like our mother was going to pass away in a few weeks when I went to New York. And so I knew Susie was going to move in with me. And so I started the paperwork to move her medical coverage over to California so that she continues in. In New York, it's Medicare and Medicaid. And in California, it's Medicare and Medi-Cal. So it seemed that that had gone really smooth. But at the same time, I was also filling out her annual renewal forms in New York because she was still under health coverage at the nursing home in New York. And we needed that to be covered, even though she was going to be then transferring to California. So I was the one filling out those forms. I guess our mother must have filled them out in the past. Um, That was not an option. So I filled them out best I could. And it said, does she have a bank account? And the truth is she doesn't have a bank account because my mother was the payee for her social security money. And I have since become the payee. So truth on the form says, do you have a bank account? I said, no. So then we went about our business, got her into the system here in California, thought everything was hunky dory. And then about a month or so after we got back here, it's like October's. And I started getting a bill for her for $5,300 from the nursing home that she was in in New York. And I called and I said, oh my God, like she is totally disabled. You know her. She lived there for two months. Like, how are you billing her? She has coverage. And they said, well, no, she doesn't. It was denied. Her coverage is not in effect. And I discovered that I had made an error on the forms. They asked about the bank account. And then when I said no, apparently they sent it back with some small print asking for more information about like where does she, how does she keep a roof over her head if she doesn't have a bank account. So I neglected to see the small print. I just kind of kept filling out, no, she doesn't have a bank account and sending it back. And it turns out that her coverage got denied because of that. So we then found out that we could apply for an appeals and they called it the fair hearing. We have since come to call this the not so fair hearing because what I thought would happen in a fair hearing is that they would listen and fairly determine the circumstances maybe that led to the error being made. But New York decided not to. So we are now left with the $5,300 bill to the nursing home as the final tie financially to her life in New York. So we're going to say thanks, New York Medicaid, for that. And for the people listening, you know, no worry about the financial part of it. It's just we didn't win the fair hearing. So we like to think of it as not so fair. <laughs> and we also had to get you connected to services, right, Suze? Because there was a lot of TV watching that first month when you were at, at the beach place, right? So, you know, and that was due to the fact that I'm a beach girl. So I like to live at the beach. I didn't really care if anything was walkable to my place because 
I live in a great location, but not for someone who needs to walk to things because we decided here due to the freeway system, Susie's broken ankle, still recovering from that and everything else. And it just seemed like too much to then put her back in a car because there had been issues with driving and car crashes and stuff. So we just thought, hey, you know, Susie's getting lifted everywhere or I drive her, but there wasn't much for her to walk to from my beach place. So... Through asking around, we discovered an amazing place called The Meeting Place Clubhouse. Now, this is called a clubhouse. It's kind of a national thing. You can find clubhouses for people who need mental health assistance in most areas where there's a fair amount of social services. Susie definitely met the criteria for depression at the time she enrolled there because you do have to have some type of mental health disability. Her main disability is her learning disabilities, but she definitely meets criteria for depression over time and has in the past as well. So we did get the doctor to agree that she meets the criteria for depression, but when she's a member there, she's always a member, and we're very grateful for that. So as I mentioned, you can probably find a clubhouse across the nation in a more metropolitan area. But what they have there is that there's no therapy there. It really is just about building life skills. They build emotional support. They have social outings and they build confidence in their members. So Susie, you work the front desk there. Tell me about your experience at the clubhouse. What do you love about it? Getting out. Making new friends, being around people. Yeah, and so what has come of that? I've gotten featured in the newsletter. Oh, yes, you get featured in the newsletter all the time. And I always <laughs> joke, she also writes little segments for the newsletter. And I tell her she's going to just be just like me. We're always writing for different things, right, Suze? Yeah. Yes, but you also have a tremendous amount of friends, right? Yes. Lots of friends, and the director there has been really good to you? Yes. Tell us a little bit about what the day at the clubhouse looks like. I go in at 8, work the front desk. Then at 9, we have a newscast and unit meeting. You determine what you're going to do for the day? Yes. And then how do you get lunch? I go to the cafe and pay for lunch and they announce it. Right, but they make it there, right? Yes. So some people learn how to cook there. Yes. You are working the front phones and the front desk. Yes. Yes, and so and other people work the newscast. Yes. How fun, and what's been some of your fun outings that you've gone on with them? The thrift stores, Old Town. What else have you gotten out of that? Lots of friends. And we even went and saw one of our friends that used to be a staff member wrestle last night. Right, we went and saw one of your former staff members who's now like, I call it amateur pro wrestling. So that was a lot of fun. So you're meeting people. We go out to places now and people say, hey, Susie, and like you've lived here like just over a year and you already know people out and when we're in public. The Meeting Place Clubhouse has been a tremendous, tremendously impactful place for your life, for our life, and we are glad that they exist, aren't we? Yes. So Susie's also now a volunteer at the Humane Society here in San Diego. She's on their schedule two hours every two weeks and helps with the dogs. So if you're a dog lover and you want to get to know a little bit more about Susie, you can actually go find her on Facebook at Suzanne Mullen. She posts some cute dog pictures from her shifts, and she loves social media. Right, Suze? Yes. I love posting the pictures and messaging with people. 
Next up is a story about how grief showed up in our daily life. And a little later in the episode, we'll also have a beautiful story of how the grief went away. When Susie first moved in with me, she was in the habit of watching Jeopardy every night at 7.30. She and my mother used to watch it back in New York together. Her grief also showed up every night at 7.30 with the onset of Jeopardy. Trivia was something my mother was really good at, so she had a nightly ritual of watching and guessing the answers. Susie, what did you love about that nightly ritual with mom? They say she loved trivia and that she was trying to answer the questions mm-hmm. on Jeopardy, like Alex Trebek. Oh, yeah, you both like Alex Trebek, so it's fun to watch. Yeah. Great. So how her grief showed up was with tears every night. As soon as the theme song began, so did the tears. When I was home, it resulted in a big hug through the theme song. We had a lot of nights where we were hugging a lot through that theme song, weren't we? And when I wasn't home on nights when I might have still been at the office when the show would come on, Susie would text me. Do you remember those texts, Susie? Yes. Almost every night when I was at work, right? Yeah. And the text would always say, I just wanted you to know I'm watching Jeopardy and crying about mom. And no matter how many nights went by, every time I looked at my phone after a session and saw that text, I got choked up knowing that Susie was home with her grief, sad but still going with it and watching that show every (laughs) night by herself. Right, Suze? Yes. I know. I often tell people who are depressed, I'm like, why would you watch a sad movie if you're depressed? (laughs) But you wanted to keep that ritual going. Yes. Even if it was painful. So when I was done with my sessions and I'd see those text messages, I would respond as soon as possible and tell her how much mom would love Susie's new life in California and how well she was doing. And then, of course, we'd have a big hug when I got home. This nightly ritual went on from July 28th when Susie moved in with me until February 7th, which happened to be a few days after our mother's birthday. And we're going to follow up with another story later about how the grief went away. Now, grief is a funny thing. We don't often know how it will come or how long it will last. My recommendation is to just embrace it. I know it's painful. I've been through a lot of losses. We've lost a brother. We've lost both of our parents. Grief is about other things as well. Life circumstances can bring on a lot of grief. But let yourself feel it. Let yourself be sad. You may cry, but your tears will eventually run dry. You know, nobody dies of crying. So I always say eventually the tears will stop. Right, Suze? Mm -hmm. And it does. They might stop after three minutes one night or an hour another night, but eventually they run dry. Life looks different without that person in your life, but the silver lining in this story is that a tragic happening does not have to mean a tragic life. Also, throughout the course of the year, there was the other task of getting her connected to actual services to help her 
overcome some of the disabilities. Now, when she was in New York, she lived um, with our mother and the two of them kind of took care of each other. And Susie wasn't connected to services probably since she had a job coach in her 20s. So under the circumstances that she left New York, we also didn't have any records on her life. I figured I had her social security card, her ID, her birth certificate. I didn't know that I would need other documents about her life. So I go and try to connect her to what's called the regional center where the people with developmental disabilities are provided with services out here in California. And the regional center said, hey, you need to get her high school records to prove that she's been disabled since before the age of 18. And I said, well, you know, she graduated in 1990. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. They said, well, that's what you need in order to get services. So we have been fighting now. It took 13 months. We did win this fight, though. It took 13 months of pushing for an assessment. There was papers getting lost in the mail. There were denials. There was a denial, in fact, for giving her even an a chance at an assessment. And I had written to them and said, I've called her high school. They said they'd given us what they had 10 years ago, which was some scribbled, you know, handwritten report card that you get from teachers. They had a few pieces of stray records in school, but nothing saying that she was in special ed, no real record of her disability. And then I even called St. Charles Hospital, where she did her OT and speech therapy all through our childhood. And, you know, they laughed when I said, do you have records of somebody who attended there from 1982 to 1985? They literally laughed at me and said, you know, what, you know, how long do you think we're going to keep these? So we had to take this one on and do what we could through advocating for Susie. So there was an actual denial to give her an assessment. And that's why I want some others to find hope in this. Sometimes you will get someone that will listen to your story. So I ended up calling the director of the center and it did take a few phone calls to get her to go talk to the other people that she had to get to reconsider the denial. But I shared the circumstances and assured her that no one is going to meet Susie and think that this just happened to her one day. And anybody that meets her knows this. And I told the person this and I said, please, you just have to give us a chance. You have to understand for those listening, don't think, oh, well, she's a psychologist. She, she can get in with these people. I didn't identify myself that way and I didn't have the language or the knowledge that I would need to pursue that. I just went in with, this is what has happened and you've got to have some human kindness to give her a shot at this because she needs services. This will be the difference between a productive life and one that is okay, but not one that could be really fulfilling because she qualifies for services that can give her a better life. So, so they said yes. And we finally got that assessment done uh, around August of this year. And we've now since gotten, or I think it was in September, they did the assessment and we recently got word that they have connected her to a caseworker who will be offering her services. And which services are you looking forward to most, Susie? Going back to school. Right. What do you want to go to school for? To be a vet tech. To be a vet tech. Because you love those animals so much, right? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and that is Susie's goal. And we also know that before that happens, you know, we need people to come to the house. We need services to help her learn how to 
scan her environment better because she has a lot of sensory things that have her miss obvious things to us. So there's like this thing about her environment that she just doesn't sense. And then, of course, there's some hygiene things that we deal with. And, you know, it's all part and parcel for just her not getting the help that she needed maybe a long time ago. So I've kind of made this my mission to help her get the help that she needs. Right, Suze? Yes. Are you cool with us talking about all that? Excellent. So now, in between those couple of struggles and things that were happening, we also went to a charity gala for a program that we hope Susie will be connected to now that she's with the regional center. And we got to get all dressed up, and we've now hit our second time going to that. So we're building in little traditions in our life. And that's always something good for bonding people, too. Like, what do you do from year to year to kind of keep some consistency and reflect on the changes? So we have this. Um, gala for this program that we like to support and then what else did we do who did we go see on stage right and how exciting was that very yeah so what do you love about the drag queens i love when they change from a man into a woman and their makeup and their hair you like all the makeup and the hair yeah i know and for those that that are going to follow up and check out the post on Coaching Through Chaos page. I'm going to have all these fun pictures of our life in the last year. And you'll see Susie is not a very made-up gal. She likes it a little bit when we go out to these fancy things. But the fact that you love the, the overly done drag queens is hysterical to me. And then we actually celebrated your birthday. And you had your first birthday party since probably since we were little kids, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and a whole bunch of girls came. And a guy. And a guy, and we went to the drag show, right? Yes. And then what are we doing this year for your birthday? Going to the same place again. Yes. During the holidays, we also were on a mad dash to find a new home because Susie was scheduled for a surgery that was going to render her unable to walk for the next six weeks, and we lived in an upstairs duplex apartment on the beach. So she wasn't even going to be able to get in the house and up the stairs. Uh, Her motor skills are such that it would have been a lot worse for her to try to get up and maneuver her body. She probably could have fallen again trying to maneuver without putting her foot on the ground. So we really had to find a new home. And it gave us an opportunity then to say, well, you do need more things accessible to our home. So let's look for that home that fits both of our needs. But for me, you know, for as much as my life changed tremendously when Susie came to live with me, this was one of the times where I really felt the gravity of our life together and what it meant for me. All of a sudden, after being on my own for many years, I mean, I was married for about 10 years in the middle of that. But, you know, for the most part, I've lived on my own and I've been able to pick where I live because of what I wanted. And now I had to pick a home based on what both of our needs were. And that didn't mean uh, living in the same area for me anymore. But in the end, that compromise meant that we ended up at a place that's literally a mile and a half from the Coaching Through Chaos offices. So for my day job. (laughs) And it put us in a beautiful apartment that has very, it's very modern. It has a beautiful pool area, a gym, and a jacuzzi. And then we have a tunnel that goes under an eight-lane main road that connects to a Costco, an Ikea, a nail salon, the very important Starbucks, right, Suze? Yes. And the trolley line, which is really the lifeline for her friends coming to visit. 
you know, Suze, what's your favorite part now about living here? The jacuzzi. The jacuzzi, yeah. So Susie likes to go about twice a day to the jacuzzi, and I think everybody knows Susie. <laughs> and part of the gravity that I felt also in this move was kind of looking at how much I was going to pay in rent now that I needed to find a house or a home that was suitable for both of us with both of our needs. And I was so worried. I was so anxious in December and January of last year. I was so worried I was going to stretch too far or would just need to work so many hours. I kept thinking, how many hours of therapy can I possibly do in a week? But it's working out great and business is fine. And what I've come to learn over the last year, which is something I I believed before, but now I really hold on to when people say, how are you doing all of this? Or, you know, this must be hard on you. I say to them, you know, I just realized that if I keep doing what I think is the right thing to do, it seems to work out. That's a little thing that if it helps you to remember that too, you know, it may not be feasible to do everything that you want to do. It may not be convenient, but if you're doing what you think is right, you know, you can't really go wrong if that's where your intentions lie. Okay, so just to catch us up on this story, because there's a lot going on here, and you can hear why I might tend to have a business helping people conquer the chaos, because we have a lot, and I come from a lot of chaos. So this is not foreign to me, but for some of you it might be, so let's catch up. So she moved in in August. We found the clubhouse in September. We had the not-so-fair hearing in October, got denied for services from the regional center around that time as well, got the $5,000 bill from the hospital at that time in New York, moved in in January. We're now caught up, and we'll talk about the surgery that was scheduled in February. So as this story started two episodes ago, You know, at the time my mother had gotten sick and gone in the hospital, Susie ended up falling and broke her ankle in three places, had some major surgery, and then ended up being in a nursing home for eight weeks, which was also the same nursing home where my mother spent the last weeks of her life. So we always said, hey, Susie, you know, if you wanted to be close to mom while she was passing away, like, you know, you could have just told us. You didn't have to go and fall down the stairs. (laughs) There were other ways to be close to mom. But in the end, you know how we just were saying, sometimes life doesn't work out how you want it to or how you expect it to, but then it works out how it needs to. So she broke her ankle because she needed to stay close to mom because that is what she knew for every day of her life. And it was a blessing in disguise. And uh, so my mom got to pass with Susie just staying a couple of rooms away from her. They saw each other every day. And that is what she needed. And it would not have been able to happen that way had she not been able to like also live at the nursing home. So a convenient broken ankle allowed her to live at the (laughs) nursing home, right? So in the end, though, Susie had a long recovery. It was a bad break. She comes out here in August. She still has a walker. She's still using the walker for guidance. Um, She's wearing a brace on her ankle for support. And she doesn't have a lot of mobility in the ankle. Like she's still saying she can't walk very far. She's still saying her ankle hurts as she's going through things and becoming more active in her life. So we did get her to a orthopedic doctor and the doctor assessed her and said, you know what? That ankle is not healing how it's supposed to. So we're going to need to go in and schedule a surgery. So that's how the surgery in February came to be. And 
she was not supposed to be able to walk for six weeks. So this is really important because of how this turned out. So Susie goes into the hospital. Now, the week before that, I start freaking out. I'm like, I mean, we have the ground floor apartment now. It's easy peasy once we get her here. But I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about my job? If she can't get out of bed, who's going to help her? And I was freaking out. I bought her a wheelchair. I bought a bedpan. We had the walker from her previous injury. I think I was more anxious than she was. (laughs) And so Susie goes into the hospital early that morning. I go about my business for a couple hours while she's in surgery and I get a call three hours later from the doctor who says, you know what? Susie's ankle was so far healed that not only is she going to walk out of here in a boot, (laughs) I also removed all of the hardware that was put in during the previous surgery. She said, I don't know if it was her nutrition or what she's been doing for exercise, but something over the last two months really sped up the healing and all of a sudden the ankle is healed. So, you know, we like to think it's modern science, but Susie here has a much more (laughs) beautiful take on it that helped her also overcome her grief. So Suze, how do you think you got so healed? What do you think happened in that surgery room? I think mom was there with me. Like in spirit? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think she did? I think she healed me. Yeah. I know you've told me you think that she just didn't want you to be in pain anymore. Uh, Yes. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you might be listening to this and go, you don't think like that. That's okay. Some of us do. Some of us don't. And, you know, but what, what really is important when dealing with grief is what makes you feel better counts, right? However you come to think about it, that helps you not cry every day. Because after that, what happens during Jeopardy now? I don't cry anymore. That's right. Never a tear once in Jeopardy since that day. It's been quite incredible. Of course, you know, we've had tears over mom since then, but not not in that way where there's that definitive trigger every single day. So for Susie, just healed her. And it healed her grief. So for as much as this surgery spurred a lot to happen, it spurred us to move. It spurred us to take time off of work. It got us to do a lot of things. It also got us to the end of the daily grief. And for that, we're really grateful to the doctor for that, right? Yes. Okay, so we're getting to the last two stories. One, again, is a little bit of a battle that we're actually still entwined in. And the last story will be a fun one. So Susie gets her surgery. We're coasting along a little bit. We're into our nice new apartment. My commute's down to a month and a half. Susie now is going to the clubhouse three days a week for the eight hours a day, but sometimes she also goes on the days when they have special occasions and then she goes to most Saturday events. So Susie's out and about and having a very active life. She's going to the gym almost every day and, um, and I'm carrying on and we're having our nice life now. But then, you know, I get a notice that somewhere along the line, the the check that I normally get for from in-home support services, which is something you have to qualify for here in California, that the check isn't getting paid, that Susie actually has to pay me out of her income 
for the money to take care of her. And now this is minimal. It's a few hundred dollars a month. And it was something that we got her qualified for. Yes, it helps us. And it really is the things that I do. It, it's helped to cook for her because her it's to help with hygiene and laundry and things like that. But it also is there in the case that I am not there that she could hire a state approved caregiver and the state would pay out of her Medi-Cal benefit for this hourly service and we got approved for a certain amount of hours a month. So all of a sudden we're carrying along a couple of months ago and the check stops. So I go and I find out that this year's reevaluation. So last year's in New York, we got stuck with the $5,300 bill. This year, nothing has changed at all in her income. She gets a very fixed income from Social Security. And this year's reevaluation says that her Social Security money that she has always gotten is now too much. And in fact, it's too much for Medi-Cal to kick in until she pays an $877 a month share of cost. So, you know, I'm self-employed. I pay for my own health insurance. If I had to lay out $877 a month before my insurance kicked in, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be able to afford that. Like that's not the life that I live. So, you know, when we show up at social services to fix this, they say, oh, it's not a big deal unless she has big medical expenses. I'm like, no, no, it's a big deal because it prevents her from having in-home support services. So they tell us that, oh, well, she does qualify for this other program. And this other program is called the Working Disabled Program. And it's the state's way of fixing this loophole that has people who don't make enough to get their share of cost, you know, kind of sucked back up into the system as it was. Because with the share of cost, the 877 a month is way more than what the IHSS check is for. So if Susie though was all of a sudden in a situation where I wasn't around and there wasn't someone else to take her in, she'd be left with less than $400 a month in income. And the state says, well, it's just how the system works, which on another note, it's going to be a new fight that I'm going to take up. And if anybody's listening and you want to join in, let's figure out and brainstorm how can we change the system? Because, you know, Susie has me to fight for her. Maybe some other people in similar positions have family members to help fight for them or advocates. But if Susie was on her own, she wouldn't even know to fight for this. She wouldn't even know how to and certainly wouldn't be able to speak up for herself to do it. So this program that they wanted to put her into and said, oh, for sure, she's going to qualify. Sounds kind of bogus to me, but we did what the state says to do and we're still fighting. So know that this does not go where they tell us it's going to go. And I'm supposed to write, and I did, with the guidance of the social worker at social services, wrote a letter saying that I pay Susie $5 a month for the chore of loading and unloading my dishwasher in the house because that's her one chore around the house. And they said that will help the state absorb her share of cost by putting her into this program. We would pay a small like $20 Medi-Cal like monthly program fee. I'm not quite sure how it all works, but that's what the understanding I have of it is. So they had me fill it out. We did this a few weeks ago. We got the letter a week ago uh, saying that <laughs> they denied her entry into this program. And they gave some reason that didn't make sense to me. So we went back down to social services and we waited for a supervisor and the supervisor 
then said, well, hang out for 24 hours. Let me get back to you. I'm going to try and get it changed internally because it looks like it's a glitch in the computer that it's shooting out this error message that's disqualifying her from the program. So they're saying she qualifies. They're saying it's not our fault. Just so we're all clear on this, the system says you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, she qualifies for this, but there's a glitch in our computer that is sending out a message that pertains to something else that has nothing to do with your sister. So sit here, I'm going to try and figure it out and get it fixed internally. Well, what do you know? He calls me back the next day and says, oh, I'm sorry, they couldn't override the computer. So you'll have to go through the appeals process and do the appeal so that you can get in front of a human being and they can overrule the computer because we can't do it internally unless someone appeals this letter. So I don't know about you, but I work within the, the insurance system sometimes. I'm still in a couple of insurance panels with my clients and I have heard and I have seen over time, if you don't know that the denial isn't supposed to happen, that's where they end up not having to pay. But at this point, I assume every denial is wrong because that is, in fact, what's happening so far with what we're doing. So we are fighting this. They're saying that we're going to get in front of a person and it will get fixed. In the meantime, she has been without that portion of her coverage since August 1st. And we're recording this on, what is this, October 20th, I think. So, you know, we're now three months into fighting for this mistake in the system where she has been gypped out of benefits as a totally disabled person since birth. It's just outrageous to me. But for you listening who are listening for inspiration, keep fighting. Like if you get a denial and it doesn't make sense to you, go find somebody. If you're not able to figure it out yourself, there are consumer attorney advocates around that are there to help you. So look them up. I am actually using them myself here because I thought I could just follow the instructions of the social worker and apparently it worked against me. So I'm definitely going to go in with an attorney this time who is working, getting paid by the system to work for the people within the system. So find your consumer advocate attorneys in relation to social services in your area if you are really stuck. If you really are stuck and don't know where to look, reach out to me. I'm willing to call your area and help you find who to talk to because this is outrageous to me and it hurts my heart to know that it's going on. So just fight for what you know to be right. Go, but fight appropriately. Like I didn't, (laughs) you're not hearing any, even though we talked about a couple of battles we had to have. None of them were battles with yelling. None of them were battles with being mean. None of them were battles going against anybody right out. It was, I know that we've been wronged. I want to figure out what is the way to right this wrong. So that's what I want to advocate for you to do. Okay, so let's finish off with a real fun story. So Susie and I just took what I want to be an annual sister's mini vacation. Now, where did we go, Susie? Why don't you tell them about our weekend? We went to Vegas. And where did we stay? We stayed at the Hilton Grand vacation. Right. And why did we go to Las Vegas? When I said, Susie, where would you like to go? What show would you like to see? Who did you want to see? Barry Manilow. Right. And why did you want to see Barry Manilow? Because I always liked him since I was a kid. Yes. 
And you don't get out much to a lot of concerts. So I thought, well, let's pick a show. But I did think it was funny because it could have been Christina Aguilera, could have been, I think, J-Lo, could have been Celine Dion. And you pick Barry Manilow. (laughs) So we went to Barry Manilow and it was quite a show. So tell them about what you enjoyed about it. Seeing him up close. Right, because they took us all the way from almost the back row and put us at like fifth row center at the last minute because they had some open seats, right? Yes. Yes. And what else did we do there? We saw David Copperfield. That's right. We went to David Copperfield's show and we'd grown up watching him on his specials on TV. So we thought that'd be fun. And what else? We went and saw friends and had dinner. Yeah, where'd we have dinner? Like, what were you across the street from? The Bellagio Water Show. That's right. The Bellagio Water Show. So for those that want to know where to go in Vegas, I say go to Mon Ami Gabby, the restaurant at the bottom of the Paris. You sit out on the patio and overlook the Bellagio Water Show. It is so fun. We had a great time. A couple of my best friends actually live out there. So we had dinner with them. And, you know... There's been a lot of struggle in this episode, a lot of stories of hope. Oh, and Susie, on top of this, tell them like the transformation that your body has gone through now, now that you are active, you are socially connected, and you're happy. What kind of transformation have you gone through in the last year and a half? I lost 80 pounds. Lost 80 pounds. That's incredible. And... She says it's low carb and it is for the most part, (laughs) but really I think, I think it's living a good life. It just, it shed, it shed away from you. You started exercising, you've made friends, you've been connected. You're amazing, Suze. Thank you. All right. Well, why don't we leave off with what do you love most about living in California? Living with my sister. (laughs) Aww. Well, we could do that anywhere. What do you love about living in California as a former New Yorker? The sunshine. The sunshine, right? So we're going to leave off here. I hope you all enjoyed this little glimpse into the life of our chaos. And it is settling down because whatever happens with this last struggle uh, regarding the Medi-Cal coverage, you know... We're survivors. It will be okay. And as I said, if the motivation is to do the right thing, it's going to work out. I'm not sure how it's going to work out right now, but it will work out. And it may not be what we're looking for, but it will be something that we need is how I figure things. (sighs) We're ready to get on with it. So coming up, you're going to have some great interviews with people who are going to help you conquer the chaos in your life. I've got experts on marriage coming up. I've got experts on creative entrepreneurship. I've got all sorts of stuff coming up. So check it out, tune back in, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Take care.